first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. I know I talked your ear off last week, so we're not going to do that so much this week. Let's just uh, get through this intro and get right on to the show. Jacob and Roger of Zen Sports. They are, you know, Jacob is the GM of eSports, and Roger has just recently been brought on as a media marketing consultant for their eSports department, and it's going to be a really fun ride. I uh, well, let just Let's just let this one speak for itself, not do a whole lot of advertisement. Music this week is from the great and powerful and amazing Immorpher. I'm uh, always intrigued with how dark and fucked up his music can be. So, But I figured since we're talking about Quake, we should have some Quake-style music. So here we go. Without any further ado, let's get in the keep with Jacob and Roger of Zen Sports. A lot of grinding the first few years of esports, you know, a lot of startups. And then obviously I got to work with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, and, you know, a lot of what I did in the beginning stages of my career inside of esports specifically, you know, led me to have some type of a voice inside of the industry. And, and based off my personality as well, as very vocal on social media and so forth. So I caught a lot of interest from a lot of different things. And someone at the Mavs, uh, a Duke alumni who was a part of the business school, um, you know, caught wind of what I was doing. So yeah, they put me in contact there and, you know, Duke loved everything they saw. And after having a conversation with me, you know, they flew me out. Um, and I got to actually do it with a, another esports veteran. His name's Bryce Blum. He's a lawyer, um, very popular guy. Um, and he was one of the, the other panelists, a part of that too. So it was a really cool experience, man. Um, me growing up as a basketball fan, um, you know, the Blue Devils are such a great and prestigious basketball team. So that was such an awesome experience for me to be able to go and be, go see the court and walk around campus. It was funny because when I was there, I don't know if people know this, but around February or January, um, I think like right around March Madness, kids camp out a month before outside on the field to be able to go to the basketball games that are not, not even starting for another 30 days. And they rotate on who stays in the tent in line. It was insane. So that was that was pretty funny. 
It's actually funny that you mentioned being a basketball fan because it seems to be a large, at least from my perspective, crossover between Quake fans and basketball fans. I think perhaps because basketball is like the, as far as team sports go, like fastest, most high energy sport I can think of. And Quake is probably the only online game I, I think that can really replicate that spirit. Uh, like our good friend Cygib, who will probably be helping us out uh, with the charity tournament, is also like a just casual basketball guy and like a violent heart who is a, a member of our staff here at the Keep. Big time fan of basketball, and he was a Quake Four legend, essentially, as a Mega Blazer was his name at the time. And I could probably go into it like several more people, but like, do you, do you feel that as well? Or am I just blowing some up? No, not at all. I think, yeah. you know, Quake is super fast paced game and basketball is the same exact way. I also think of something that's very, another thing to put into, it's easy to come and play basketball, right? You could be good, bad. And I'm not going to say it's easy to come into Quake if you're bad, but I also think it's a friendly game because I started playing Quake at 11, 10 years old. So, you know, at that age, if I'm able to be able to grab that concept, I think someone at 20, 25 is able to get it on Quake just like a pickup basketball game. So, no, you're absolutely correct for sure. Yeah, it works the same in, in the sense that, uh, you know, you most pickup basketball games happen, you know, not, you know, in any specific area other than there's a court. Maybe it's a public court. Maybe it's a, you know, a local park or whatever. And kids just sit around waiting for people to come show up. And then we let you play pickup games, exactly as you said. Quake. Works very similarly in, uh, you know, old school, uh, which is kind of the focus here, games worked the same way. And that we, ha okay, we've built a court, which is a server, and people just join, and you wait for a pickup to happen. You're like, hey, all right, let's do this, or what game mode do you guys want to play, and that kind of thing. So it requires a level of kind of community-based cooperation in order to happen. And then when it does, it's always, you know, magic. Yeah, and Quake is a community-based game, to be honest, right? It wouldn't be surviving this long if it wasn't. So, Kanye, you uh, you also have a unique kind of story here that you were writing for esports, if I understand correctly. Oh, uh, yeah. So then you find yourself working here with uh, Zen Sports, but I've noticed in, in just our brief kind of chats and back and forths that you seem to have a disposition towards Arena FPS. Is that... Uh, from you personally, or is that from, you know, dictation from the company itself? We kind of needed to get into Arena FPS because of, you know, a lot of the open source games, mm -hmm. uh, right? So we actually, you know, we needed to show, you know, bigger games, teams that we could put on amazing events and that the betting aspect that we're going to tie into it can add crazy engagement. Uh, so, Right, the best open source game. It's either Warfork or Xenotic, and I looked at both of them, and I thought Xenotic was was a little bit cooler. I really like the Devastator, to be honest. I think it's honestly one of the coolest guns I've ever seen, uh, and I just think Xenotic as a game flows incredibly well. Uh, so I'm actually I'm actually really excited about our tournament on Saturday, just for the sake that I think Xenotic as an esport, uh, you know, could be a big deal. I think it's you know just in terms of how good a game it is. It's it, to me, it's certainly as interesting as Quake. Uh, but, you know, I don't actually have a ton of experience in the Arena FPS. Uh, those aren't the type of games. I'm glad you brought up Zenotic. What is your perspective? So, so Zenotic is, 
Interesting. Uh, you, you've arrived in, in this business at a very interesting time for these games. Um, so Xenotic is kind of in my, I, I don't mean to be disparaging in any way, but it, like from the crow's nest where I sit as like, you know, just overwatching all arena FPS games. When you guys said like, yeah, oh, we're focusing on Xenotic. Like I was kind of like, Hmm, like that's weird. Not because it, it does have a small, healthy community, which is good for what you're trying to do. It's just that it's so not in my personal, uh, focus, right? So we, we do, you know, have channels here for Xenotic. We have pickup games that happen from time to time, but it's just not currently the game that I see a shitload of potential in, uh, in that I don't know that it will grow. But whenever Gelmosan was the one who kind of brought my attention to you guys, Whenever he said like, yeah, but they're implementing sports betting. And I still didn't really get it because I was like, well, they're going to bet on like these, you know, community based tournaments. Okay. And then I read your, uh, your, you know, manifesto, essentially <laughs> your, the document that kind of outlines your guys, uh, plans for the leagues, for the betting leagues. And then I realized like, okay, so this is going to be so cool and grassroots, um, because you're building a reason for people to take these games seriously. Um, so with, with that said, from my perspective, I've long since been, you know, kind of investing my time and our time here at the keep in Warfork because to me, I, I don't, you can rebut after, after I say my piece, but to me, I think Warfork is like the most exciting of the arena shooters currently on the market and that the, uh, the movement is, there's never been a faster paced game. So, Warsaw has long since kind of dominated that we've it's been called the you know the fastest game in the world and all that kind of thing but Warfork bringing that to you know still open to anyone to play and tool around with and in, in that it is the Q Fusion engine engine it is it has never been presented to a large enough audience before in my opinion now that it's on Steam that changes the paradigm. And with a little bit of elbow grease, I think it can really be special. So I'm looking up this Warfork stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Never heard of this, but I see it's rated 9 out of 10 out of, on Steam. When was this game released? <sighs> don't don't quote me here. I think about a year ago. Uh, Warsaw oh, so has been around for a very, very long time. Like since, I want to say 2004. Like, okay. something like, so we could like say that. this game is very focused heavily on more of how the game runs more than quality of how it looks, right? Because it does, I mean, just by my perception, right? It doesn't look like it's a, like a brand new game that just came out from like a visual perspective. But I could tell like probably from a movement perspective, it's probably crystal clear and, and everything like that. Can we agree on that? Definitely. Uh, yeah. I, I would go a step further and to say that it is currently just a fork. That's why it's called War Fork, right? Of Warsaw, which is an older game. Yes. Over time, and we would have to consult with Kane, who is, you know, running with Team Forbidden to create Warfork over time. As they progress, I believe that they will continue to upgrade the graphical style as well. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, and it's cool. And it's a community based game where they're working with, you know, you know, the people and they're listening to feedback too, right? So that's always good. But yeah, I, that's, that's kind of my perspective on like the current. Like what, what's happening? What's, what's cooking that we can pick up, take those ingredients and then make something a little bit better with. I'd say that that, from my point of view is the game to look at. 
So I'm actually very excited that you guys are coming in with a new structure, a new infrastructure and looking at Xenotic in the same way. So that's, that's taking my eyeballs and pointing it somewhere that I didn't even necessarily see potential. Mm. And this is all new, by the way, right? So this is mm-hmm. all first time happening. So if anything, the game that we chose is actually perfect for what we're trying to do because we need to start somewhere small, learn from that, and then continue to expand and be better and continue to provide quality experiences with our things. Because we're adding features. We have a development team that puts a lot of time into, you know, building these type of new interactive ways through the app itself too, right? So it makes it easy. Because at the end of the day, everyone has a cell phone. Someone mm-hmm. might not have a PC, but everyone has a cell phone, right? Um, or I mean, and, and, the whole, and the whole point of that is, though, is that e- mobile esports, by the way, which we should talk about on this podcast, is a whole other world and it's blowing up because of that reason is that everyone has a cell phone. But um, it's easy to interact. It's easy to, like, if you don't can't afford a PC anymore, you can still watch the games. You can still be a part of it. You can still be engaged. You can still be invested into it, right? I think that's most important. So, you know, I just think there's so many opportunities, like you mentioned, and we'll continue to, you know, innovate um, inside of the space on that front and continue on the sports front too. So it's, it's actually quite funny that we end up sitting here uh, a while back. I can't remember exactly what episode number I had a friend on um, who is big eye guy and he's a mobile developer from Israel. And he spent a long time working on uh, you remember slot mania, the mobile game where it's like it simulates slot machines. Yes, sir. So, yeah, so the, the way that, that the human brain works, uh, he he could break it down far better than I could. But you know, just how gambling really sucks you in, and not to say like in an addictive manner, but in a in an engagement manner into what you're doing. And if it can work for something so simple as like a slot machine, where it's just you and uh, not even a computer, really like a set of gears, and you get that kind of instant feedback, you get a simulated environment of interaction. Essentially, people love that shit Um, when it's on the human level, when it's, you know, peer to peer as what you guys are creating, it can generate so much more interest. And to watch, you know, a community grow as a result of that is going to be very, very interesting. Like, I I think this is probably the most exciting thing that's come across my desk other than maybe uh, when I found out (laughs) that. The like 3D Realms is bringing in like Quake mappers to work in Trench Broom that will translate to an Unreal Engine single player game. Like these are on the same level of excitement for me. Uh, that's awesome. If I could just uh, so there's one thing you said about how the slots machines right give you mm-hmm. instant excitement, right? You kind of emphasized instant there, and that's one of the big selling points of Zen Sports and our sports token, right? So. Pretty much all other sports betting sites, as well as you know, esports sites that pay out money, uh, they're paid out in dollars, right? And dollars, first of all, there's credit card fees, but it also takes time, right? Your bank has to uh, approve the transaction. Uh, so with Zen Sports and our sports token, you know, all payments are you know instant, right? So you get that instant gratification of you know hitting a bet, and you see the funds increase instantly. Uh, so I think that really plays into the betting aspect. Well, I think it really highlights uh, the betting. Uh, on these esports tournaments no definitely it that's a huge part of it and uh, we'll we'll break this down because i think for a lot of people maybe maybe not this audience because they're quite tech savvy but for me anyway like i'm not a big sports gambling guy myself and i also have not been extremely active in the cryptocurrency community but to have it 
be in this, you know, unique cryptocurrency environment is actually quite revolutionary because it seems that you will be constantly, as you said, like immediately rewarded for your actions within the app. And then you can take that cryptocurrency and you can convert it to whatever the fuck you want. That was one of my first questions when Gilma brought this across my desk is like, so can you, can you like take that to a, a normal crypto wallet and convert it into other currencies? Like, yes, it's already been approved. Like that's a huge step for you guys and congratulations on it. Uh, thank you. Yeah, no, yeah, no, a hundred percent, man. I think there's a, it's super interesting because we even had the exchange to buy, sell it on directly on the app. So like, we, we even recommend like, hey, these are third-party channels you could use because obviously we want to give our customers any opportunity to choose wherever they need to, right? Because it doesn't really matter to us where you use it. But I think it's easier to know that, hey, I could earn this here, but then I could sell it, trade it, and, and do whatever I feel, you know, on directly on this app with the, own, with the, with the exchange on the Zen Sports app directly, right? And I think that's another thing, right, is I think a lot of people want everything in one, somewhere in one place. And that's something we're trying to provide, right? Even further, let's just take it a step further into human psychology, right? You're attracting people who are uh, already predisposed to gambling, right? Uh, so they like that. And then you also have this second layer of cryptocurrency, right? So you are going to have people who are predisposed to taking risks and you're going to have them accumulating wealth within the economy of your app. Then you can, over time, watch them as they decide, okay, do I want to take this money out? And do I want to convert it into cash and put that directly into my bank? Or, and this is the beauty of what you're doing to me, I can sit here and hold on to this and watch as this company, Sports, grows. And this cryptocurrency accumulates a, a greater and greater wealth. You know, as you have a greater, you know, backing of actual cash flow, your cryptocurrency will grow. Exactly. And, exactly. and then, so I, all right, I got like 4,000 sports. Okay. What's a, what's a thousand sports now? What's a thousand sports going to be months from now, years from now, that kind of thing. Just like, you know, I remember when, not when Bitcoin actually first came out, but like when Joe Rogan first started having people come on to discuss Bitcoin and the trend from, you know, if I had bought, you know, a couple thousand Bitcoins for a dollar when they came out and then, you know, 10 years later, God, if I had done that, like I would have like a million something dollars. And I'm not yep. saying it will be that necessarily for you, but because the market has definitely become populated since then, but you're going to have the kind of people interacting with this who will want to take that risk. Yeah. And we're months ahead and we're years ahead of people too, though. And that's another positive thing. Right. And like you said, it's, um, you know, there's different opportunities in the sports token, which we'll get more into, you know, later on in other episodes as well, because I'm sure we'll do a couple more and we'll have Mark come on and all that, you know, mm -hmm. and he'll go deep into the crypto side of things. But, you know, the sports token is so much more than just being a crypto type of currency at all. It's a reward system. It's a reward payout. You know, you could use that to claim, you know, tickets to a football game, um, to the Super Bowl. You know, there's just so many different options you'll have for it being a sports token specifically. And it's just more than just being a, a currency where you could just get cast for it or something like that. You know, there's different types of ways to utilize it and really touch on, you know, how valuable the sports token will be, especially as years to come. Um, and if you're a sports fan specifically as well. So, 
so just to say something about that, uh, the sports token is not a security token, right? So the sports token will never change in a, it, it's not supposed to go up or down, right? So it's a utility token uh, in the sense that it's basically the same token as like a rewards token on an app, right? It's just registered uh, on a, a crypto exchange. So it has real world value. Uh, but the sport value of a sports token should never change. Uh, it's not a security token and it's not supposed to be, uh, you know, kind of wagered in that kind of sense. It's not, people are not investing in the coin. Uh, it is a utility token to be used to place. So bets what you're on saying is that it, it has a direct and intentional correlation to the currency that people use regardless you know, in their day to day. So if it's United States dollars, then it will not fluctuate in its value as compared to the United States dollar. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I just know that uh, it's an important okay. distinction uh, between a security token and a utility token. It actually changes the paradigm of the conversation. So regardless, either way, people will be inclined to hold on to it as the value of the adjacent currency that they want to convert it into shifts up or down. Exactly. Okay. I, yeah, please t- definitely tell me if I'm wrong. I'm just trying to read what we're dealing with here. So that that's actually, I don't know, maybe that makes it a faster turnaround. Maybe people will be quicker based on that information to exchange it back to the U S dollar. Um, so, so I think generally speaking, uh, the sports token actually takes people away from transactions um, just based on the rewards program that we have centered around it, right? So the reason why 92% of bets placed in the Zen Sports app are done using sports tokens uh, are because it is so convenient uh, and, you know, you get a ton of cash back uh, as well as other rewards for, right, uh, not withdrawing uh, super often. You know, we have a huge referral bonus program, uh, but really just the cash back, right? You get about 2% cash back on all, you know, exchanges, so considering that Zen Sports kind of controls uh, the sports token, it's it's really a good position to be in because we can give our customers a ton of rewards uh, and keep them happy and keep them engaged uh, with our product. As a as a potential customer speaking, right? Um, when I hear the term cryptocurrency, my first reaction, and I'm sure a lot of people's is, is like, yeah, but what is that worth? So like, if I went if I went a bunch of this, you know, cr- cryptocurrency, this non tangible thing to me. I can't put my hands on it. You know, it's not in my bank account. I can't see a number, you know, attached to it. The fact that you're doing that in the app, you know, already is a huge step. But they're probably going to be like, "Why would I want this?" Initially, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and uh, to be completely honest, I'm not a huge crypto guy. I used to play around with Bitcoin and uh, like the Ethereum uh, when I was when I was really young in like high school, and it's actually funny. So my kind of biggest experience with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was in my senior year economics class at high school, uh, where we had a competition. It was like, okay, you all get $100,000 in fake money. Uh, and whoever has the most money at the end of this class, you know, wins mm-hmm. like 50 bucks. And the guy didn't realize that you could buy cryptocurrency on the, the app that he gave us. So I bought this thing called RippleCoin. That was must have been up like 10,000%. Uh, and I, I didn't spend any real money to you know to get into it for for like in like reality, uh, but I, I won the competition uh, buying yeah. all cryptocurrency. Well, at the end of the day, we're we're three gamers trying to uh, parse out the uh, 
how does an economy work essentially so we're not going to get to the we're not going to solve all the world's problems in this conversation but no I, it is very interesting it it is quite a unique way to uh attract people and so i am interested in that um but yeah let's as i said we're three gamers let's uh take it to the gaming side so it is interesting again to me that you guys uh zen sports is already quite an established brand within sports gambling itself but i and i can't understand i'll never understand why this wasn't completely obvious since at least the 90s that esports is the place to fucking be like and especially in in a pandemic time when people are you know playing remotely and having remote tournaments which are like what you're putting on with xenonic uh that's such a huge market that can be tapped so uh what was the initiative that what i'm assuming this is what brought you to into the into the business itself anyway so actually zen sports started as a rec sports you know app right it was made for people to find each other and to you know play pickup basketball games on to play pickup pool games on right so we 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 they built these you know huge tournament hosting features right we can put up to 108 128 players in a tournament uh and it, it works great and we already had these fully built and and the ceo was just like yeah i think we should start running esports tournaments uh and from there we kind of just you know started working really hard and and we hosted one back in august uh they got all the features up uh they're still updating the features every week uh our production team's working crazy hard uh development team uh, but yeah, so so we started in in August, and and our first official event uh, will be Saturday. So uh, it's pretty exciting for sure. Yeah. So what? Uh, so you said I think you said you had a background in writing articles for what, Fortnite esports. Uh, yeah. So what brought you personally into the realm of esports? Um, Fortnite, really. I remember. I remember. I mean, not. I mean, I love video games my whole life, but kind of Fortnite was what you know made me realize that. I kind of had to make this my career because uh, I remember freshman year of college, you know, my friend showed me this game and it was Fortnite. And I literally told him, I told him this is going to be the biggest video game of this year. I, and I was like starstruck. And this was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Uh, so, so kind of, I played, just played Fortnite for like a year and then it turned into be like what I thought it was going to be. Uh, and so I started writing articles about, you know, why Fortnite was so fun, you know, why it was so engaging uh, you know, the whole, so the whole thing about Fortnite that's cool to me, uh, is that it's all built on a grid, right? So all the whole building mechanic of Fortnite, right? It just builds a box, right? And there's, there's basically an endless amount of boxes and the map is basically placed on this grid, right? And what I noticed is that, you know, three of the most popular casual video games of all time, right? Are all built on this same grid, right? The first one, Tetris, you know, it's, it's, it's blocks, it's grid, uh, then Minecraft, right? Exact same thing. And then Fortnite takes it to a whole new level with competition added. And I kind of, you know, set out to figure out why is this grid, you know, feature so appealing? Uh, and kind of what I th- hypothesized it to be is that, you know, just sim- a simple grid is so intuitive, right? These, these games like Fortnite and Minecraft, they're so easy to pick up and just play, right? And that really ties into what you guys were talking about earlier, with basketball, right? Basketball, you just go to the gym, you play, and, you know, you guys love basketball. I actually am not a huge basketball fan, uh, but that's okay. But I think it really ties into, you know, why these casual video games are, are so uh, intuitive. We're at a very interesting intersection here because I will I will do my best to hold off the mob, but my fans will 
probably crucify you, you know, for loving Fortnite. And that's okay. Like I, I have no real, it's a meme within our community to say like, you know, like an insult, like, Oh, mother load loves Fortnite. You know, that, that kind of thing. Thank you, Smango. If you're out there listening to this and, um, the fact is that regardless whether or not it is, and to me, to be completely honest with you, it, this is a game that is meant to attract a certain type of person, which is most people. And you're you're dealing now with the arena FPS community, which is a far more, we'll say niche, but cerebral, I think is a better term, uh, type of gamer. So so Fortnite, you say, you, you said is like, a really easy game to pick up and obviously it is for a great majority of people but you have you know you have the the shooter aspect of it but the building aspect is a totally different fucking ball game right like that's that's what makes the game mm-hmm. unique that's what makes it different than PUBG and and then it ha- it does have this kind of for me a little too kid friendly like meme quality with the dances and all that bullshit but when you boil you know take take its clothes off and get right down to the brass tacks of what makes it a a competitive game it is building and anyone who would be predisposed to playing a game at all is going to have a much easier time dealing with building than they are with a fast paced you know movement technique and run you know running into a fight with a rocket launcher and then you know shooting themselves up in the air switching to a railgun and popping somebody in the head you don't see that sort of thing quite so much in Fortnite. You know, and I, I, I see why people hate on it, but I also I think it deserves a little more respect. And this is not someone that loves Fortnite to that regard. I just respect what it's done for the gaming industry. And mm-hmm. I don't think people give that enough credit because, you know, um, gaming and esports, because I, I think too, they're too generalized, right? Like in the sense of, you know, I think they're different in ways because gaming as a whole is that there's so many gamers, but not all gamers are esports enthusiasts or participate on the esports competitive side. So, you know, um, but to be general, to be general, you know, what it has done for gaming as a whole, you know, it put it in front of so many more people's eyes and, and it made it more comfortable and allowed other people to be accepting of others to be gamers, right? And I think that's yeah. what Fortnite has done for gaming as a whole, right? And I think that's, something that people should give it a little more credit on but i could see why you know people don't like it i mean i personally don't don't play it anymore i do only a little bit when my little brothers call me i have seven nine-year-old little brothers um and they play it a lot unfortunately and i buy them skins um for them because i'm the big brother but um but i you know it's done a lot for the industry so but you know i see why but it's also i mean it's hard to build like that, man. It takes a certain type of skill too, and a certain type of level of concentration to to be able to be good at that game at a certain extent. Oh, I mean, I fucking suck at that game. I've tried multiple times, you know, to like, all right, I, I'm gonna give this a fair shake because there's the part of me who, you know, likes what I like and talks about what I generally talk about. Then there's also the businessman in me who's like, okay, why is this game so damn popular? Like, and as you said, it's like. It has it has invented a whole new way to take someone's skill set and implement that into a competitive game, right? Um, so what it doesn't matter what I personally think of Fortnite. It, the fact stands that it is extremely popular, and I'm for anything that gets young people into something productive, and that could be you know anything. But 
if Fortnite's the way to get you into esports, you know, maybe my ultimate goal isn't to get people playing Fortnite, but it is to get people gaming. And as you said, it's an, an incre- it's been an incredible liaison to bring it into kind of the public zeitgeist of what is acceptable. So to to unpack what you said further, you know, um, you said esports is overly generalized, and I 100% agree with you because saying esports, right? Like I'm, I'm an esports guy, is like saying you know I like sports, you know, or any you know whatever it is, it any particular broad brush topic. Um, so Fortnite or you know Quake or well, these are totally different games. Uh, PUBG, uh, Dota. These are entirely different. They're as different as basketball is from, uh, what's that fucking Olympic sport with a squeegee ice, you know? Shuffling. Uh, uh, <laughs> shuffling, yeah. I always find that so crazy. I yeah. don't even know what it's shuffling board or whatever you want. In, in terms of execution, they're as or more different than those two games. Two totally different ends of the spectrum. But, but people tend to, at this point in time, because it is relatively new to the public eye, conflate them all into one thing. And I enjoy that you guys have like the infrastructure to, you know, like I saw yesterday you guys were posting about like tennis and in the same limelight that you're going to be posting about tennis on Twitter, you will also, it's, you know, clearly be talking about Xenotic, which will become its own like, all right, what's that? So people who are into, you know, just, just general sports fans will now be introduced to a whole nother side of things that they, maybe they weren't into before. This is a cross-section for people of what they think are not similar interests to find common ground. 100% agreed. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I found, um, you know, playing sports and stuff. You know, there was always something common, you know, me and my teammates had. And, I mean, you know, even, like, something casual. Like, and I don't play golf much, but when I would play golf sometimes, um, you know, as I got older, um, you know, one thing everyone had in common is that they were a gamer. You know, they play some type of video game for the most part. And it, and, and I think a lot has to do with it because I don't know. How old are you, by the way, Mother? I don't know if you released that. I'm, I mean, I'm 29 years old. I'm 25. Yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, we grew up in an era where we got to play outside, right? We didn't have iPads and cell phones. We didn't grow up with all that. When we were kids, we had to knock on people's doors and, you know, socialize and all that. But then, at, like, around, like, what? For me, at least, it was around, like, 13 or 12 when technology hit gaming, PC gaming, um, I mean, and, and it was a little before that, but like ultimately yeah. like 2000, 2001 is when I got into it ultimately. Counter-Strike, I, I saw I, a quick story. I lived in Argentina for two years um, in 2000, 2001, and I started going to land cafes out there. So it was really big, you know, these land mm-hmm. cafes and all they played was Counter-Strike. So I would go every day and sit there and play CS uh, 1.6 and source. And it, I mean, I think at that time it was 1.6 or one point, whatever it was. Um, and we would play Aztec and dust. Oh man, it was just some of the best memories of my life, you know, at, at a young age playing. And I started with PC gaming, um, that basic white mouse with the laser on the red bottom, um, with a gray little roll on the, in the middle. Um, so, um, it's, it's, it's just humbling to see like where it's been from where I started too. So it's crazy. No, it's actually, it's funny that you bring that up because I have long since been fascinated with how much, though it is, you know, we, we consider America like, all right, we're a first world country. Argentina and other Latin American countries have been so quick to adapt to the general esports market 
I'd say even quicker than America was. And what's kind of beautiful about that is that the the fact that you know when you're in a we'll we'll say less wealthy area, you know, people get a computer, maybe it's not the nicest computer in the world, and then they generally gravitate towards open source games like Quake and Doom. Yep. So you have these like I, I it was a couple of years ago, there was this huge uh Quake one, Quake Quake World tournament in South America. And I was like, how did that fucking happen? Like, <laughs> it, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, funny story, man, since we're touching on Quake. So Quake was actually one of my first, like, real games that I ever played because my aunt married um, married Sergio. Um, and every time I would go over, they had two PCs. And Sergio, his PC was the gaming PC. And mm-hmm. this was what? Ni- I mean, when did Quake get released? 98? Ooh, before that, uh, Quake 1 was released in 96, I want to say. And so then, then it, it was like Quake Arena or Quake 2 or what was around? What was the second Quake game? Quake 2 and then Quake 3 Arena was after that. So I think it was either, and that was what, like the 98, 99? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was around, so it was probably around, I think it was Arena, if I'm not mistaken. But long, but, but anyways, he had his whole, all he had all the characters, like the, the action figures around his desk, Star Wars, the Quake characters. It was, it, was, it was always an experience, the neon lights, the setup. It was always so cool. And this is, the, you know, at such a young age, and I always thought it was so cool. And next to him was my aunt's computer where she worked at, and he had Quake on there. So when I would go over and sleep over because, you know, I'd go hang out with them when I was younger, um, I just stayed up with them till like 3, 4 in the morning playing Quake all night, which my aunt didn't like because it was such a bloody game <laughs> and I was young. But <laughs> it was I, – I, till this day, bro, I remember it. It's one of the best times of my life, to be honest. Like as a, as a kid and remembering gaming and how I grew up, like those were such fun times, you know, of uh, when I gamed. Because I remember playing those uh, those bigger maps too where it was Capture the Flag – and then I would play another game. I don't know if you guys know Tribes. You know, mm-hmm. you ever heard of Tribes? Love mm-hmm. Tribes. You know, one of my favorite games. Um, and that was always that was always intense and and sliding up the hills. Is, I I think Tribes, man, was too quick for its time. Because if Tribes released, I think around now or maybe a few years before, even like 2010, I think it would do so much better, man. I think Tribes was definitely a candle that burned before its uh, its moment, but you can still see the legacy of it and that uh so there's this game it's quite a small project right now called power that copies that sort of uh slide movement mechanic from tribes and i can see how that could i don't know that they've necessarily hit it yet but if they continue to hold on to the legacy of that movement style it could be very 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 cool and and a competitive esports game. Yeah, I had a sad moment, man, because I would I would download Tribes of Send like probably every couple, like every year, two years, and I finally did it recently, and no one on, man. It was a sad day. I don't know. It's it sucks for just the general way that these games work. And you know, when you're at a small scale, it's harder to get a pickup game because there's not as many people playing. Yeah, but when the keep comes in, <laughs> exactly. Hopefully, it does. <laughs> But um, Quake, yeah, but yeah, man, Quake was, you know, it started gaming for me initially, and and that passion for me. So, you know, I always have love for Quake, and and um, and I think it's there's so much opportunity, and if I could get involved, you know, obviously now to get betting involved with a game like Quake is so much more complicated with the developers. But you know, like the games you were talking about, those are so much more opportunity right now to figure those things out as we grow too. So, 
you know, but Quake will always be fun to see. But it would be cool to see if we could get like tournaments hosted for Quake through our platform and sponsor some things well, without know. the betting portion. Feel free to reach out to you know Sinker and the boys over at the you know Bethesda's crew for Quake. But it is uh, in in such an interesting time. Uh, I think that Quake got like too big for its britches necessarily because. As you know, uh, you've you've watched esports grow and evolve over a, a lot longer span of time than I have, Roger. So uh, it seems to me that if there's a model that works for growing a competitive esport that has been established, and that you, you know, you make a game and you didn't expect to see a return on investment. Obviously, any company would. Uh, it's it's bad business not to rec- <laughs> see a return on your investment. But esports um, has a different path than you know a single player game where it's just like bada bing bada boom you get your game it's done you know probably you know maybe a couple of patches in you know this day and age but you you expect to pay a dollar amount and then have a finished product um esports evolve you know you get player feedback and then you push out you know we're in the realm of weekly or monthly updates where the game can completely change you know based on a couple of tweaks here um the the players have to constantly adapt to the new technology. Just like a like Formula One racing, where you know every couple of years they push out a new piece of technology on the cars, and then the pit crews and the drivers have to adapt to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so with a uh, with these esports, they they expect like, all right, I'm going to see a return on investment. Quake came out, Quake Champions came out, I should say, and mm-hmm. it did not obviously get that return on investment that maybe Bethesda was hoping to see. Um, so they then tried. they had, ha- well, I'd say they had a choice. They could re up, you know, double down and yep. see where it goes, or they could wean how much money they were willing to spend on it because it wasn't, it didn't seem like a good business venture for them. And so Quake Champions has significantly downsized since its uh, initial launch. That's 2017. But then you look at the, the a more successful esports model. So let's just take Overwatch for example, because it's something you can compare kind of apples to apples with Quake. It took forever for them to actually see a return on investment in that game, but they believed in it and they continued to like, all right, we're we're going to keep pushing this and keep pushing this until we get it to where we want it to be. Um, the same could be said of God MOBA games, right? So you, you saw the same kind of pattern with Riot Games in terms of like they launched their MOBA and it took a very long time. Like people liked it, but it took a very long time to take it from its initial launch to a point where people, you know, where people are gathering in gigantic arenas to watch this game unfold in front of them. Well, let's talk about Dota 2, $20 million price pools, crowdfunded, yeah. by the way. You yeah. know, like that's insane. Like, Dota doesn't even get enough credit. Like, people forget, like, because League of Legends overshadows Dota, no doubt. But people forget that Dota is the most given price pool on all of esports. You know, I think the first one was, like, 15 million. And then the next year, they raised, like, 20. The next year, then was, like, 25 or more. And then now this year is, like, 30-something, if I'm not mistaken. So, just insane to see. Yeah, and it's it's just a very... Like, you, you cannot feasibly at you know if you were just a businessman looking at the current way things work creating a competitive pvp game is in an immediate sense like the worst investment you could make 
But if you have the capital up front, you know, or a way to community source interest over time, which I think is where Zen Sports kind of comes in, then you can continue to reinvest that capital into something that is going to be successful in the future. You just won't see it, you know, in a couple of years. You'll see it over a broader span of time. It's a, it's like when you're dealing, I'm, I'm a weather forecaster, right? So you look at the local weather or the local climate. All right, cool. Like I, you don't really understand a whole lot about why things happen the way they do, but you zoom out to a satellite image of the whole country and it becomes much more clear. It's just a, a difference in scale. Where where Zen Sports interests me is that uh the long long since the games like Counter Strike and like Dota have taken over the esports scene and like Fortnite, Arena FPS has become like a very grassroots, small scale, community oriented thing. So the way that you get games is by you know joining servers, joining discords like mine or like I could name a million. You know, like I, I could just go through my disc. I have probably seventy discords on here for different arena style games that the whole point is to create a a community of people who know where they can get pickup games. Right. So, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in playing quake champions come into this discord, you know, ping quake champions and you'll get a response from a certain number of people who are also interested in that game. No. Yeah. hundred percent. But because like I, I stated earlier, it's such a dwindling sort of thing. Like the, the companies themselves, maybe I don't, I don't want to say like, because a lot of people tend to like blame the company or like say like you you don't you don't really care about your game like they don't have the capital to invest in what you're trying to ask them to do but you know with things like Warfork or like Xenotic or whatever when you guys introduce a gambling ecosystem to it that creates a another layer of community for people to meet and discuss these things and Probably, I bet you like tons of people are going to, you know, gamble with each other and then like, hey, man, we should fucking play this game. Like, they're going to see this Xenotic tournament and a a group of people who previously would not have been involved in the Xenotic community will be like, that's exciting. I want to learn how to play this game. Uh, Yeah. And the coolest thing about these open source games is that, like, just think about how much integration can be done with the game into Zen Sports uh, and live betting. Uh, just right. So Zenotic has a stats page where every sing- all stats from every game are sent, right? And you can use those stats and send them to Zen Sports, and then you know have have the lot have the stats for the game immediately. Uh, so I think just the the open source is perfect for what we're trying to do, uh, and I think we will actually ex- you know we're going to expand into bigger games. But I really think, and I really want this to be the case, that we stick with Zenotic. Uh, or this open source community and really try to do something special with it. Uh, Cause I think it is just such a big opportunity. Yeah. The level of customization that you have at your disposal in these games is you're not going to find out elsewhere. You'll, you know, in Xenotic, I, I think we discussed this briefly a bit before, but you know, you can, in most any retro game, uh, you can just transpose a border, you know, Zen sports or whatever sponsored tournament into the game itself. So when you're watching it, it'll be there when you're doing business with somebody bigger than that. If, you know, if you don't have the business relationship with them to negotiate that, then it probably won't happen. You know, you're not going to have the Zen sports logo in something like, I don't know, counter-strike immediately. You can do that now with these open source games. And that is huge for branding and, uh, just it, I don't know. It just brings you into the experience. 
Yeah, I think it's really cool. So we actually have those billboards in the Zenotic, right? So there are, we've got five maps in the map pool that have billboards and then two thrown in uh, that don't. But I mean, it's actually so cool to see the, the Zen Sports billboard uh, and these guys, you know, flying around shooting each other and the Zen Sports billboard is just there. Uh, you know, download on the iOS app store or Google Play or zensports.com. Yeah. It just looks awesome. I think it's a beautiful meeting between where your company is at now and where the arena shooter community is at now. It's like perfect timing because they need you as much as you need them. So I saw Riot just added the MasterCard thing, but I had been wondering why games didn't do that uh, for a while, right? I don't understand why Fortnite never made, you know, even for a little bit of time, um, you know, mini shields into Pepsis, right? It's just such a good opportunity for Mm -hmm. brands to get involved. And I think that is actually the biggest way that esports uh, are going to become really profitable is by, you know, really marketing these products in the game. Uh, I think that's really big. Just as you saw in real sports, you know, people see a community of people that watch this and then it becomes, it's like a, it, you have to go through that initial step of getting an audience. And then once you do, then it becomes very obvious in the American brain to advertise. (laughs) Yes and no. I think for the bigger games too, they're scared because look at Fortnite, how they do it, right? They host watch parties now. They host these events inside the game. So technically they kind of do it, but it becomes a little too commercial when you start slapping logos in places where it doesn't fit. So in certain places, it makes sense. In some, it doesn't. So I just think it's more situational um, as a whole. But yeah, I think also now it it makes a lot more sense. But like in League of Legends, like it makes so much sense that the flags are that logo of that brand, right? Because it's it's already implemented in there and it looks a part of the content, right? So as long as games keep creating these maps where they could implement that stuff, like Apex, for example, it's a great game to put it. They literally got billboards everywhere in the game. So it's easy to slap whatever, you know, logo or whatever branding, whatever video you want on there because it's going to look like it's a part of the map already because they made sure it did, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Apex is actually a great (laughs) example because their map is literally... It's like <laughs> billboards everywhere. No, I think that's part of your expertise and that's why you're hired to do the job that you are because a lot of business folk, you know, I'm not accusing anyone, but I'm just saying like have no soul <laughs> and and that they don't actually know what people want. They just want, you know, and, and a lot of people don't know what they want either. So when they get these products that are pushed to them. Like, look at YouTube, right? If I, if I look up a Lamb of God music video, why are you showing me an ad about uh, the new Toyota Corolla, you know? Is that your? Is that the appropriate thing to show me at that time? For you uh, to say something is it seems very simple and obvious after you say it, but it's profound to say uh, it has to make sense. You know, it has to feel welcome to the person watching. So, for you know, if you're a basketball fan and you see someone wearing Nike basketball shoes, that belongs there. You know, that's like you're selling me a product that I'm interested in buying because I'm a fan of this sport and I want to become good at it. And what's what will make you good at it? Acquiring the tools to be good at it. Uh, Esports has had a very similar and yet, I don't know, a strange kind of path in finding that window. What do you offer to people who are into esports? You know, you offer them the tools for the trade, but most people are not very computer savvy. So, is that, you know, a Zoe FK2 mouse is, you know, with a, you know, a certain refresh rate. Is that a, a, a monitor with 144 hertz refresh rate? 
uh, is that a new graphics card? Is that a, you know, a new processor? It, you have to find the, I don't want to say intelligence level, but the happy medium between how tech savvy your audience is and how much they want to invest in themselves to play that game or to be part of that community. Does that make no, sense? Or am I spouting bullshit here? <laughs> no, it does for sure. Okay. And I think there's a lot that, that goes into that too. You know, let's kind of reverse it. Like, why don't you tell me where you started gaming? What was like your like experience to get you to be so passionate to grow this type of community? What was your start? So long story short, I uh, was not like a huge gamer as a kid. I played a lot of, you know, the typical stuff that kids that grew up in Alabama in the 2000s and, you know, late 90s did. So I played, you know, uh, in 64, we had GoldenEye. I uh, played a lot of uh, Duke Nukem Time to Kill with my dad, just, you know, on split screen kind of stuff. But I didn't see computers as a, a real way to, like, entertain yourself. And I mean, like, PCs until I was in high school. And we, you know, I've heard this story a million times, but we realized that the the network was maybe not as secure as our <laughs> school thought it was. So we put, we had a guy that just brought in a thumb drive and put Quake 3 on every computer in the classroom. And our teacher was quite absent, you know, all, you know, what was her name? Miss Ross, Southern lady, you know, she had, she had like Microsoft office down, but like how, was she a sysadmin? Absolutely fucking not. And so then that class just became Quake 3 class. We'd go in there for business tech and we'd come out as, you know, Quake three enthusiasts and that's awesome yeah and so over time i didn't really like take it super seriously at the time i was like oh that was a really cool thing i did uh when quake champions came out that was 2017 i didn't even have a pc um but when i saw that game coming out i i almost almost as if like an act by the divinity of you know i'll say the drowned god catholic because that's our deity here at the keep but uh a friend literally just showed up to my house and like, hey, I built you a computer because I I know you were interested in this. And he had some fucking money. And I was like, dude, you're the, you're the illest. And so I was like, all right, what am I going to play? And the only PC game. I need I to find friends like yours. Yeah, well, uh, shout out to Jared Millett. What a great guy. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, what game am I going to play on this thing? And the only PC game that I had any experience with was Quake 3. And so I was like, well, let's, let's look up some Quakes shit. And I started Googling Quake and then Quake Champions was coming out simultaneously. And there was at that time, like a millions of dollars invested in the game. There were these amazing tournaments from QuakeCon that you could just go back and watch on YouTube. And I was like, I've got to play that game right fucking now. And that got me back into the arena shooter community. So as far as competitive gaming goes, that was my kind of window into this universe. I used to be a big time hockey player uh, and me and my dad used to play Halo before hockey games yeah. to get warmed up. Uh, it was awesome. And I always used to make, we used to play split screen uh, like Halo two. And I always used to make him go into rooms first and stuff. Uh, it was awesome. I, that is one of my best memories uh, as a kid playing video games. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I used to play uh, this disconnects to hockey too, but you know, everyone on the hockey team played Xbox live, right? Uh, and, and, you know, when we used to win big games, you know, the first thing that came out of people's mouths when we get back, when we got back in the locker room was, all right, we're getting on Xbox Live, you know, Modern Warfare 2, uh, and we're playing Cops and Robbers. 
And I still think about certain moments playing cops and robbers where I was laughing and having the time of my life, like having so much fun. Uh, And I think that is like the most important, you know, aspect of gaming, Uh, just the community element and how really easily it is to, it it allows people to just come together and really be friends and just have fun. Uh, So, so I I kind of think of games from that perspective a lot of the times Uh, and just a great way to learn as well, right? Games teach you, you know, competition, like you learn in sports, but they also teach you the uh, the communication element that goes along with you know interacting with people, uh, and they teach you fun. Uh, so I think games are going to be an integral part of how people learn moving forward, uh, and just in general, I'm, I'm just big on what games kind of represent. I remember in kindergarten, uh, for some reason, they had this computer game that was like Simple Edition, and I played that like the entire time I was in kindergarten, and I could not figure out why nobody else wanted to play the game. Uh, but you know, I ended up being good at math because of it. So I'll take it. Yeah, games are excellent teachers because it, the whole point of a game is to con- constantly learn how to be better at the game, right? So a successful game teaches you how to be better at it, and and it's it's problem solving. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I think yeah. this has been a huge juxta- uh, juxtaposition, and just take a step back from esports, like gaming in general. When people see like a violent game, like, you know, Grand Theft Auto or Doom or something like that, you know, they're like, oh, you're, you're teaching kids to be violent. Like, that's not really what's going on. Uh, what's happening is that kid is executing the scientific method repeatedly every few seconds. You know, like, if I do this, then what happens? That's the, that's the draw in. It doesn't matter what you're actually doing. Like, if you're shooting people or you're beating up hookers or if you're, uh, learning how to, build in you know something like Fortnite or in minecraft it's just you know, creating you're constantly learning new skills all the time uh yeah so i kind of just say games are like endless experience right it's just experience after experience after experience and the only way you learn is through experience uh so i actually love when people tell me oh you play too much video games i'm like dude you have no idea uh so, so I'm I'm completely I completely agree with that statement. So one of the things I do as a sports is I post on social media, and there's a lot of games ending right now, which is the Dolphins. The Dolphins just won, so I was looking at that right now. Got to keep the fans updated, the betters updated, you know. Definitely, yeah. How do you think that? Uh, because we're talking from a social media standpoint, and it is your job, you know, as the marketer, what will be the way that you integrate the like something like this Xenotic League or you know anything like that into a social media aspect? How will you try to draw in players? I think it's like you said, right? I think we already have a good mix of balance of bringing in people, but I think it's, for me personally, my strategy is partnerships, right? Partnering with individuals like yourself, partnering with other influencers and streamers that you know are growing their fan base, and um, creating those partnerships and creating some type of synergies, right? Um, you know, and figuring out where we could be mutual beneficial to each other, right? We provide a benefit. You guys provide us a benefit. And I think that's how we're going to win right now. Um, and then I think that will transition as we grow to continue bringing other sports betters to be like, oh, wow, these guys got gaming and esports. And then they're going to start entering and even downloading some of the games um, that they might have even played before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's that's the key component is like not only they're downloading your app, but they're probably going to download the game. And what's really beautiful is that because you're in the, uh, the arena shooter environment, 
it is a very low uh, cost to the individual, right? So there, a lot of these games are free and open source, as we talked about before. Some of them will cost a little bit of money, but hey, maybe you make money betting, and then you buy the game from that. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see play out over time. And I think actually the another avenue we have as marketing with these leagues uh, is that the entirety of our app, right? It's an ecosystem built on sports tokens, right? So, and the peer-to-peer aspect is huge, right? Because say we have a league with 16 individual players, right? You know, betters on the app can have, you know, just like a Fortnite creative code, right? Where, where the, you know, it's a community and, and people can support, uh, you know, whichever player in the league they want, right? With their creator code. And I think that can tie into a whole social, you know, feed on the Zen Sports app where, you know, bets are being kind of, you know, thrown out and, and you see, okay, this person supported, uh, you know, this guy with the bet. Um, so I think that could be a good way to, you know, increase engagement and add a community element to these leagues. So we got to, we can't talk about gambling without touching on the, uh, some, for some people, the perceived moral and uh, legal realm of how this works. Um, not to make a political statement or anything, but like I'm for general agorism, which is to say that, you know, I don't think the government need tell you whether or not you should be able to bet your money on a video game or, you know, bet your money on sports or whatever the fuck. But for some people, this is a, a big threshold to cross. And you don't really have a, a challenge in, you know, talking people into doing something that they've done since the beginning of time. But with the does the cryptocurrency shield you from that in any way or uh, I would say the peer to peer aspect shields us way more, right? We're not making lines. Uh, uh, it's a it's it's strictly a marketplace, right? Zen Sports can you know make their own bets and have people accept them, but at the end of the day, we are a marketplace, right? We are there for people to you know connect with each other, really, right? And you know have their friends take both sides of their bet, and then it's awesome because there's no money lost, right? No one's no one's having to to have a bookie take you know a ton of their money. Right, Zen Sports takes you know a, a tiny fraction of the fee, right? Like like ninety percent less fees uh, than traditional bookmakers. Uh, so I th- really think the peer to peer aspect is what differentiates us from you know the sports betting industry that has such a, a connotation. Around That's it. why I choose the term uh, agorism, uh, which is the it comes from the Greek for literally market. It is not to say that you are facilitating any particular thing is that you've created a space, you know, a marketplace for people to do business as they see fit, like a flea market, right? It's not a, uh, you, you, there are less hoops to jump through. There's not uh, a, we could use the term government, but there's, there's not someone overseeing what the people do between themselves. If that makes any sense. Uh, actually, one of the, the another idea I have thought of for Zen Sports is that right the peer to peer aspect can be used for things that are not even betting related mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, right. As a marketplace, right? As we expand and and the sports token grows and more businesses implement it, and it's kind of you know a, a cryptocurrency that's accepted in more places. Uh, the possibilities are really endless uh, for a peer to peer marketplace. Right? There's a lot of things that you know need a peer to peer marketplace that's decentralized with instant payment. Uh, you know, that's a really good value proposition to have. Uh, you know, we happen to have started using it uh, for sports betting. Uh, but I think in the gaming industry with so many digital uh, cosmetics and digital assets, 
I think uh, you know those digital assets could could live on Zen Sports, and you could trade them with your friends. You could trade CS:GO skins. You could trade League of Legends skins, uh, and that could all be done without money transfer at all. Uh, it could also be done with sports included. Uh, but just given the, you know we have a peer to peer marketplace, uh, I think there's a ton of stuff to do with that, and I think there's a lot of stuff to do with that in the digital world. Yeah, it, I mean it's a currency, so. It doesn't have to be, as you said, about gambling at all, it could, or even video games at all. It could just be as simple as like a, you know, hey man, uh, we're gonna grab a pizza, and like I don't have any cash on me. Well, I'll just send you some sports. Okay. Now you've created a market. Yeah. You know, you've created a a way for people to not only connect with each other but to exchange currency. So, yeah, I mean that's incredible. And as you said, the, the possibilities seem endless from that standpoint. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting things on how, you know, we continue to enter the esports space and we'll continue to see in best ways to do that. So, you know, we're excited. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited to, you know, be at, at the ground front of something like this, you know, to like sit here with you guys and discuss this now is a, uh, just for other people, you know, who are listening that might see this as an opportunity to get involved, right? Like, so you guys are doing business with the you know, Zenotic League, and I'm I'm thinking that it would be very advantageous. Hopefully, uh, people are listening to me to get involved early. You know, as you said earlier, your your strategy is to create partnerships. That's very cool. It's very different than a lot of people, you know, choose to do business where it's like it, there's one exchange where it's like, a, you know, I'll, I'll give you a certain amount of money and you do what I want you to do. OK, and that's sort of a soulless way to do it. Um, but to have that, you know, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. Tendency is much, much better. And it's going to create very strong, you know, relationships. People are going to remember, you know, if if this game, you know, if if your app saves Xenotic, if it makes it a super popular Esport, or you know, it's just a tangible enough esport that people can regularly play pickup games that will not go unnoticed. I get this vibe. I get this vibe though that Zenotic doesn't want to be big. Okay, well, we can have that discussion too, and I'll I'll tell you my point of view too. You know, Jacob could touch a little more on this because he's been dealing with them more. I mean, he he's been because I recently just joined Zen Sports. I think I'm on week two or three technically of me being a part of this company. So. You know, I'm still learning a lot um, on everything here, but, you know, Jacob, um, you know, deals with these guys and it seems they're very private and very exclusive on how they, they deal with, you know, their game. You are not wrong. And why is that? Yeah, it's really Can you give us some perspective on that, I guess, because you probably have more than both of us combined on why that is. Okay, I, I will preface my statements here. Uh, here for by saying that uh, I am not an expert, but I, I can tell you what I've observed. Uh, so the best example for me is actually not Xenotic. Let's go to Open Arena, which is a, a complete remake, essentially, of Quake 3. It's free and open source for anyone to use. Uh, to me, this is like the perfect playground. where like, all right, we don't have to do business with Bethesda to get this game. Uh, we can, we can have a whole lot of fun with this. It can work in IO Quake 3, which is, a, you know, an engine that Quake 3 functions in. It has, you know, beautiful modability. It, we have things like, a uh, shout out to Rat Mod, like just community based influx into making this game better. 
the powers that be of open arena and I'm, you know, I don't even think they're going to care. They probably won't even listen to this, but they have this philosophy of like, we don't want this game to be competitive. We just want it to be like our little cute vision, um, which to me is incredibly misguided. Yeah. Just personally, because you're preventing, as you, as we talked about earlier, a market from unfolding, right? You're preventing people from doing whatever they want with your product. So, I mean, you go to the store and buy a Coca-Cola and, you know, they intend for you to drink it, but like what other use can you get out of it? Right. And, uh, any, any product, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, so you want to buy this product and have the freedom to do whatever the fuck you want with it. It's yours. You, you own it. Uh, in this case, you're not buying it, but you are obtaining something. So with Xenotic, right? I don't, I do not know the Xenotic community here for, but I think that, as you said, they, maybe they don't want to be big. It's because they have for so long been this closed off group, right? Or it's like, it's just us. And you have people that join and like, maybe they're an asshole. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe they don't participate the way that they want them to. Maybe they don't see the same vision they do. And you get an echo chamber. You know, we, we see that all the time. This is, we cannot ignore that. That's very prevalent in all games. Like, oh, you're not one of our tribe. So you're not part of the, the deal. Maybe they don't have aspirations to make money in the game. But I think that what you'll notice is that the, there's the people who make the game and then there's the people who play the game and they have different goals. So the people organizing the league, and I don't know what that business transaction is between you guys, but the people organizing the league definitely want to see the game grow because they want to be able to play with other people and have more leagues and more tournaments. Then you have the other side. Does that make sense? Yep. Uh, yeah, for sure. No, it's interesting. So, I mean, I, I could see why, and, I, and, and it makes a lot of sense from, from that perspective, too. Now, would you say that, you know, they, they, would, they would still be open to seeing the game grow if it's the way they want it to grow? I, I do not speak for, I, I, do, I really am hesitant to like speak on their behalf because I don't know what they want, right? Like, yeah. I, I know what, you know, I have an idea of what like Kane with Warfork wants. I have an, a, a pretty good idea of what Bethesda wants with Quake Champions. I, I don't know what the Xenotic development team's vision of what Xenotic should be. Is. Let me ask you then, then let's go back to Warfork because I think that's something we should talk about a little more. Yeah. What do you guys think is the future for a game like that in the sense of long-term longevity? Like, how do you make a game like that be something like Quake? Probably just branding. I mean, honestly, it's what, what made Quake so great, right? It is to me. And I think most people who know anything about computer science would agree. Like the Quake engine is incredible. Like it was made in the nineties. Here we are, you know, 20, almost 25 years later. That engine is the basis for everything. In terms of gaming now, like almost every game engine derives something, if not a total just fork of the Quake engine. Uh, Q Fusion, which like War Fork works on, is a combination of Quake 2 and 3 code and engine work, right? Um, Call of Duty is derivative of this. Uh, Half Life, the, the, the Source engine. 
the gold source engine is directly derivative of the Quake engine. So there's that aspect of it. Like, can you provide us with a game that is like really pristine? That's A. And then B, and I think more importantly, is branding. So cool, you can have a great game. You can have a really, really well-functioning game. But does that game appeal to people? And how do you make that happen? I think that is where the intersection happens. Yeah, and I think Fortnite is a great example of that with the uh, kind of cartoonish element. Because like, you pull in the mainstream like crazy, and then you've got a good game for it to build on top of, right? Uh, and that branding is crazy with the emotes and the you know the, the skins coming in all the time. And I think what really differentiated Fortnite was that every week, every two weeks, an update, right? Every two weeks, they really changed the game a lot, right? Every two weeks, they, they put it in a new part of the map. They added a new gun. And for a while, they were making huge changes every two weeks. Like when this, when Fortnite was really hot, like July 2018, maybe it was, they were doing a ton of stuff every two weeks. Uh, and I remember I read some articles on like Kotaku about how hard Epic was working their developers. Uh, and it sounded like they were doing a lot of work, but I think it was worth it because right, you're seeing all these games try to f- copy Fortnite. Right? Apex Legends has had a bunch of maps. You know, COD is doing a great job with Warzone uh, on changing things up. And they're really just taking the Fortnite approach, right? Battle Royale, COD did a great job uh, with the buybacks and all everything. Because COD is it's such a quick game to die, right? And it's so annoying. Yeah. You couldn't really have a Battle Royale in COD. Uh, and they did an amazing job with Warzone. Uh, just the whole, right? They understood that, you know, Call of Duty is not a game for a Battle Royale. Uh, or not a typical Battle Royale. And I think, uh, you know... On top of all this, uh, you know, continuous updates and adding stuff and making, you know, changing the rotation of guns, uh, they have a really solid build on the game. Roger, you're you're a market guy, right? Um, you, yeah. Have, have you seen the movie The Wolf of Wall Street? Of course, one of my favorite movies. So you remember the uh, the scene where he's sell me this pen, right? Yes, sir. It doesn't matter if it's the greatest fountain pen ever created. How are you going to sell it to me? How are you going to convince me of that? Even if it's not the greatest fountain pen, like what is my reason for buying this fountain pen? The confidence um, of the conversation, right? Yeah. And and so like I think that is the issue with arena shooters currently and it's something to overcome is that people don't see their personal value in it yet or at this time, right? Like you look at Quake and you're a competitive guy. I'm, you know, I also had the predisposition to be attracted to a game like that. Fortnite is not selling people being really good at a game, right? That's an aspect, and there is a an esports community built around that. But what they're selling, what they're making their money off of, is memes and dances and skins and branding and mainstream fun. Yeah, I think story is a part of that too. Okay, let's elaborate on that. I'm, I don't know the story. Oh, I mean, yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, just just kind of the every two week changes I was talking about, uh, right? Fortnite, they kind of developed a, a story around uh, their game, right? They have cutscenes at the start of every season. Uh, the, the live events were crazy, right? No game has ever really done mm-hmm. that before. Uh, and I think, right, in, in, in itself, the Fortnite story may not have been the most engaging story, but just the fact that you know you kind of felt like you were part of a bigger world. Uh, and that there was just, it wasn't just you were logging into a game, you were logging into a world, uh, and you like this world, right? It's a, it's a, it's a cool world, like, 
it's really interesting. Uh, it's it's an incredibly fun game to play. Uh, but on top of that, it's always changing, and, and you kind of feel like you're a part of something uh, that I don't think that these arena games really give people that sense. It's it. I think that everything functions as the following. It is never about the product. It is about your personal relationship with that product, right? So this podcast is an ex- excellent example. I'm a, I'm not selling people your app. I'm not selling them anybody's game, right? I'm selling them a personal connection. I'm not even selling it. It's free. You download it. But the product that I'm providing is a personal connection with an audience. So for you as a, you know, a developer or for you as a representative of, you know, company, insert company here. Through this conversation, not only have we discussed a bunch of cool shit, but people have gotten to know you and me, you know, they've gotten to know me too. So are they becoming Patreon supporters because I told them about a really rad game? I don't know if that's it. I think they've become supporters because they feel like this is worth their time. This is providing me with a sense of community. Like I'm, I'm part of the keep now, or I'm part of the Zen sports community now, or I'm, you know, learning something about myself as a result of being part of this. I think that's what is missing in a lot of these games. Yeah. And hopefully were- they can figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, do you, did you ever play Halo? I, I played, this is going to be embarrassing. I played exactly one game of Halo in my life on the Xbox That's so 360. Sad. That's so <laughs> sad. So anyways, Halo 2 had this oh, yeah. feature, which was the clan feature. I don't know if you knew about this. Mm-hmm. What it was, was that it was an in-game feature and leaderboard and, and a whole hub. It was a hub. It was a, it literally an in-game hub where you create your team, you have mm-hmm. your clan members, and then you would have leaderboards where you'd be able to see where other clan members are and what their win and losses are. You'll be able to compete for who's the best in the world in different, like, I think it was even different regions and places. I don't know. It was, it was super intense. And I think way too early. It came out way too early. But they also used a system where it was based off skill. skill it was skill-based, right? If you're good, you're going to go against good people and so forth, um, especially on the clan wars. The clan wars were so intense. So, anyways, you could customize your team, everything, the colors, all that. It was insane. But, anyways, that was like that brought community, that brought the competitiveness, that brought people to want to like play and, and create their clans. And you remember the forms, like the form days, where you talk on a form and, and all that stuff, like that. Yeah, yeah. That was like the real, you know, like those were like the real community bonding experiences that, you know, you didn't have Discord like we do now where we do it in voice. Like this was where we were just texting on, behind a computer screen. And it was way more, what would you say, I guess, inform- informative in some ways. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I think the forms, um, I wish they were still around. Yeah, the, the way that the Keep essentially functions is that, you know, as you said, it's seeing a a value in something. You know, like, I feel like I'm part of something that is going somewhere. If you join a, you know, an esports game of any kind, you know, and you don't see that it's going somewhere as a group, then you're less likely to invest your time in it. I, I have a note on my desk that a really awesome fan gave me at a QuakeCon. And I, this is when I was nothing. I had nothing. I was maybe a hundred people ever listened to the podcast, right? And I'm not going to say who it is or anything. To, I don't know if they want me to say, but 
they said, uh, never before have I felt so personal and responsible for a community, right? And I think that's really powerful. Uh, I think of it not like a, in a totally benevolent way, right? It's like joining a cult, you know, where you walk into, you know, if you walk into a new church or if you walk into a, a school or whatever and you find your clique, and you see that they are working towards a goal that you also align yourself with, then you're more likely to want to be a part of that. Yep. A hundred percent, man. And I think, you know, so the way I was able to grow the communities that I did, especially, you know, specifically with the Dallas Mavericks, with Mavs gaming and the NBA 2K community specifically is I was very personal. Um, mm-hmm. One, you know, I had to build the brand around myself when we first started. So I had to be the influencer the marketer and the GM. Um, but, you know, I was responding to everybody. I was hosting actual meetups where we'd meet up and play pickup basketball games. You know, I was, you know, responding to every single DM, giving people advice, you yeah. know, trying to provide some type of value, responding to every single tweet and message and everything they sent. So they felt, you know, that, you know, we were listening and they were important because they were, right? And, yeah. you know, and it's super important to, make people understand that, you know, their input, their, you know, contribution, their support is super valuable and it is, it is helping, you know, and and that's something that I I definitely always have tried to do. And I'm going to try to, and that's what something I'm going to implement here at Zen Sports is, you know, we are going to be a part of the community. We are going to chat. We are going to respond. We are going to have conversations. We're going to laugh. We're going to be serious. We're going to, you know, have jokes, but, you know, we're going to be personable. We're going to have a voice. We're going to have, you know, you know, some type of personality. Right. And I think that's super important. Yeah. It's, I mean, people, people want personal connections like that. That's exactly correct. What you're saying is like, I I was personal. I had a personal relationship with my clients essentially. Um, like my barber, right. I've had the same barber for years and I will not go get my haircut by any other barber. And that's not because maybe he's the best barber in the world. Maybe he's not probably, you know, somewhere in between, but I have a personal relationship with this guy. Like he has done me well, you know, he's taken care of me for a long time. And every time I walk in there, I tip him way more than I have to. Why? Not because I think I'm getting the best haircut in the world, but because like I fucking love this guy and I want him to do well so that I can look good. It's all, it's all empathy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Developing a real relationship and then trusting someone. Right. So as Roger was talking about here at Zen Sports, we're trying to be, no personal and you know we hosted our first tournament on august 15th uh and i'm still talking to a couple of the players who played in that because you know we're kind of friends now they're yeah. the exact you know they're, they're they're my age uh they like video games too they're nice and and we just kind of i hit it off with some of these kids and and i was messaging this this guy on twitter and i was like dude you've blown up since our tournament and he was like yeah and it was awesome um so i really think you know being personal being empathetic uh, and you know trying to be a good communicator with the people you are interacting with kind of you know it works wonders for you yeah that's i think that's the the theme of the discussion here is you know creating a personal relationship with your fan base that's that's the the thing that will make you make or break you in my opinion i hope i'm right because that's what i'm trying to do anyway but we've been uh we've been talking for almost an hour and a half. Do you guys have any uh kind of closing thoughts or any other topics you want to cover before we get out of here? 
Um, closing wise, I'll just say, you know, I'm super excited to dive into more of these games that you guys are involved in and your community is involved in. We're definitely excited to learn more. Um, definitely, you know, we'll definitely work together and chat more on ourselves. But, you know, if any questions ever come up, um, you know, don't ever hesitate to ask us anything over on our side. We're always transparent, open. And if we don't have the answer, we'll figure it out. So, you know, um, I think it's super interesting what you're building here and what you're already doing. And, um, and I'm super excited to learn more about the other stuff and the other games that we spoke about, too. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to say, uh, really, this is a great talk. Had a lot of fun. And uh, I think we should keep, you know, maybe do some more podcasts. Have you guys on ours? Because uh, yeah. I think you guys would love our CEO, actually. He's got his own pod- podcast. Actually, I did a podcast with him, you know, before I started working at Sports. you know, right, right before kind of I wrote that article about them transitioning to sports betting. Uh, and that was the first podcast I ever did. And uh, kind of done, this is actually my second. But, uh, you know, this was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Thanks yeah. for having me. I'd love that. I look forward to having you guys on again and other members of your community and vice versa. I'd, I'd love to be, uh, we would love, it probably won't just be me. Like Gilmo would be excellent too. <laughs> He's like the best envoy ever, but yeah, I look forward to having a synergistic relationship. It's going to be really, really cool to see unfold. Awesome, man. Thank you for having us again. All right, thanks again to Robert Sonata and to Jacob Schrader and to everyone over at Zen Sports. Uh, Mark, if you're hearing this, thank you to you for uh, you know having all these really cool employees for us to hang out with and uh, talk shop with and giving us the opportunity to learn something. But hey, uh, those listening, remember to go over to ZenSports.com, grab that app, and use promo code ITKPOD for In The Keep Pod. And get yourself that $500 in sports tokens to uh, start betting on whatever the fuck you want today. Yeah, as usual, thank you to all of our supporters. Thank you to Paul, Moose, Dots, Zach, Alexander, Brad, Red Eyes, Anthony, Robert, Jack, Brandy, Fred. Uh, big thanks to Gelmosan for uh, making this happen. We would not be even speaking to Zen Sports more than likely had he not bridged that gap, uh, as I said at the end there. Like, what an amazing envoy and partner he's been here with everything that we do here at The Keep. So give him some love. If you want to support the show, you know where to go. Head over to inthekeep.com forward slash support. All of our links are on there, Patreon, Venmo, credit cards, PayPal. We have our affiliate links there. If you're shopping through Amazon, remember you can use our Amazon link. Do your shopping just like normal. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and a little kickback comes back to the drowned god. So she appreciates that, and so do I. If you're thinking about starting your own podcast, I always recommend people look up Buzzsprout. We have a link, again, on our website. If you uh, end up checking it out and you want to use it for distribution, which I recommend you do, then uh, going through that link will actually give a little bit of a kickback to the keep once again. So it's another way you can support. You can also uh, head to our Instacart link. And if you are, you know, one of these folks that just can't go to the fucking grocery store uh, because it's too fucking scary outside or maybe you're just lazy. I don't know. No judgment here. But if you want your groceries delivered in as little as an hour, Instacart is a great way to do that. And once again, can give back to the drowned god while you're doing it so it's a win-win situation for everybody i uh deeply appreciate everybody's support and i appreciate 
all the people who are just listening. Remember, even if you can't give in any of those ways I just named, the most important thing you can do is spread the word. You know, we spent a lot of time in this interview talking about how to create a community and how to, you know, inspire people. And I'm hoping I'm doing a good job. What really matters is that you're out there and you're telling motherfucking people, yo, the keep is dope. It's a good time. And uh, that's more than we could ever ask for. So thank you so much. If you like this show, you'll definitely also like QuakeCast. So go check out QuakeCast.Podbean.com. Tell them Motherload sent you. And until next time, stay in the keep.